0: Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission focused, and gospel fluent? So, welcome to season two: values and direction. All right. Uh, so, let's read our scripture for today. This is uh, this follows up with the passage that Mark read just a minute ago. So, this is Matthew six. I'm going to read the last verse he read, verse 24 and then go on to verse 34 so if we can get the scripture up on the screen. Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Amen. Let's pray. Father God, uh, pray that um, these words of your son Jesus uh, would, would comfort us, would challenge us, would guide us would help us to understand that there's just a better way. That he is the way to life eternal with you, but he is also the way to a better life now. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. So let me just say this from the start. Um, Those words I just read, Jesus's words to us today, they can very easily feel like criticism, like they can sound like condemnation just for being human. Because I mean, y'all, every body worries. <laughs> Remember the first week as we began to read and dig deeper into the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is both comforting and challenging. It's intended to be corrective, to guide us, but it's not critical in the sense that we're often critical of one another. He's not looking down on us, in some ways poking fun of us for struggling to be human. He is our savior. He's full of mercy and love and grace, and you are deeply loved by him. He just knows that there's a better way. So, as we listen to what Jesus is actually saying today, I want to ask you, don't listen for an overly critical voice. Don't hear a voice telling you, just get over your problems. Everything's going to be fine. Listen instead for the voice of a comforter who understands what it is to be human, and then listen for the challenge to take the next right step into the kingdom life that we're invited to live here and now. So here's the reality that Jesus knew, here's the reality that we know all too well, that we worry, we just do. We worry about our family's safety, we worry about their well-being, we're worried about our country, that's the one thing we all have in common right now is we are all worried about our country. We just have very different views on why it's in trouble, right? But we can at least unite around that. We are worried about the problems that we see in the world every single day. And thanks to 2020, we are like on constant red alert because it seems like every single week there's some new thing to worry about that we literally couldn't have even imagined before. I'm worried. Like almost every day. I mean, there are just so many what ifs. Uh, So what if we reopen as a church and our people don't come back? What if it's just easier to stay home and worship online? What if we do reopen and people get sick? And I'm doing the funeral of somebody I love because we opened too soon. What if my wife and my kids are exposed to the virus as they go back to school? But what if they don't go back to school? I mean, what if? There's just so many what ifs. I am worried a lot. Remember, when Benjamin was born, 16 years ago now, when Benjamin was born, I was worried. And not only because I was a dad, but he was born with a heart condition, many of you know, and I was worried about whether or not I would be a dad for long. Now, these are real worries, real concerns. And I am telling you, these are not the kind of worries that Jesus is talking about. He is not saying to me or to you, none of that matters, just get over it. Everything's going to be okay. If you sit down to get some advice from somebody, what's the first thing you don't want to hear? Don't worry about it. (laughs) Everything's going to be okay. Jesus knows that. So I want to wrestle with this by talking about what Jesus is not saying. And the first thing he's not saying Jesus is not saying, do not worry. Now, some of you are thinking if Bill Ford was here tonight, he probably already would have shouted it out. Some of you are thinking he literally says like three times in the passage, do not worry. But you always have to look at what comes next. Every time, do not worry about. Jesus is not saying do not worry, but he is guiding us away from worrying about things That we don't need to be worried about. Does that make sense? Let's go a step further. He is not saying to us, do not worry about whether you have food or water. Do not worry about whether you'll have clothes to wear. We need food and water, we need clothes. He knows that. He is saying, do not worry about what you eat or drink, do not worry about what you wear. It is so important to know he is not dismissing us. He's not dismissing us in the midst of legitimate concerns about daily life and about those that we love, but he is working with us to redirect our concerns away from ourselves and toward the things of his kingdom. So second, he is not saying to us, don't do anything, just sit there and wait and God will take care of everything. When we read this passage, it could seem like we're being criticized for working hard so that our families and those that we love can have good meals and can have water. But look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So listen, that image probably got a laugh out of the crowd because it's supposed to seem funny. The idea that birds would be walking around gathering more than they could carry, that they would build nests nests bigger than they need, that they would hide food away so they would have a stockpile for months, it's silly. That's not what birds do. But that doesn't mean that birds do nothing. Birds work. They work every day. They're building nests so that they can hatch their babies. They're hunting for food so they can feed their little bird families in like the grossest way possible, by the way. Have you ever looked into a bird's nest only to be surprised that the mama bird is in there? That has happened to me twice. It is terrifying because that mama does her job and she comes right at me. see, birds expend energy doing what's natural. They expend energy doing what they were created to do. One author says this. He says, the sparrow is one of the busiest creatures in all of creation. That means that this word about the birds of the sky is only correctly understood if we see it as counsel against anxiety, but not an encouragement for laziness. Work is to be done. It's anxiety that needs to be taken away. You see, we are designed to work. It's in our nature. Adam and Eve, before the fall, their work was to manage and maintain all of creation, to take care of the birds and the flowers and the land, all of it. We were created to work. But here's the catch. We were created to work to further the values of the coming kingdom of God, not to work every day just to keep building the kingdoms that we choose for ourselves. So he says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of those things will be given to you as well. You see, Jesus is inviting us to turn our worrying into seeking. He's inviting us to seek his kingdom and to allow that seeking to create in us a righteousness that will then transform us That'll redirect our worries toward the things in this world that are also of concern to God. To turn our attention toward things that really matter, things that have eternal consequence, things that God is redeeming and renewing and restoring for His glory. You see, the truth is, this passage isn't primarily about worry and fear, it's not really about worry and fear. It's about what we worry about. It's about who we fear. It's about worship. To whom or to what will we give our ultimate allegiance? Who or what is getting all of our attention? It's about who or what we would find at the center of our being. You see, if the center of my life is filled by Jesus, if I focus on him first and then my family, I'll be rightly focused on and work for his kingdom. And I'll be focused on raising my family as citizens of that kingdom. That's good. If my worries about the church are centered on Jesus, on this church's ability to carry out Jesus's mission, then I'm focused on the right things. And he'll transform my worry into seeking ways that I can work to help this church continue to serve Jesus and his mission. But if the center of my life is filled with me, if my real fear about reopening this church and nobody comes back is that I'll be preaching to an empty room and nobody will hear me, or that I'll be seen by my other preacher friends as a failure, The center of our life is filled with us, with seeking stuff or attention from people and not from God. That's what Jesus is warning us against. So this passage, it can't be read by itself. You have to read it in context. So I asked Mark to read the passage before it because it is absolutely tied to what Jesus says about worry and concern. And this is just a piece of it. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Eugene Peterson in The Message says it this way. He says, the place where your treasure is, that's the place that you'll most want to be. And it's where you will end up being. And that section is tied together with our passage by this really important central verse in verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the verse that helps us to interpret this entire section of the Sermon on the Mount. It is actually the one verse that helps us to interpret all of Jesus' teaching. You cannot serve both God and and money. So let me criticize the translation for a second. The original word is mammon, the word we use for money. It's actually mammon. And I know why our modern translations turn that word into money. It makes sense to us. But Jesus isn't just talking about money, it's really important we understand this. Mammon means, the word mammon in Greek, it means whatever we decide it means. Mammon means whatever a culture says it means. So over the centuries, it's meant different things. It could be pleasure, it could be prosperity, it could be favor, it could be possessions, it could be property. It's basically anything of this world that we give value to because we believe that it adds value to us. Does that make sense? So that can literally be money. But maybe in our time it could also be fame or attention or popularity, like I said last week, likes and follows. Mammon is simply the god of this world, but it's a god that doesn't exist. It's a god that has no power or authority on its own. We give it power and authority to rule over us. So I understand why modern translations simplify the idea and use the word money. You can't serve both God and money. But the truth is, money's just money, right? It's just metal or a piece of paper until we give it value and worth. Fame and popularity, these aren't things that have intrinsic or measurable value. They only have the value that we give them. And what Jesus is trying to show us is that a God, lowercase g, that's dependent upon us to give it its value is not a real God. And it's not worth our worship and our allegiance. It's not worth our time or our attention. The great irony is that though we're the ones who decide the value that money and fame has, we have come to believe that that is actually what adds to our worth. Our worth. That those things give us more value. And outward signs of the value and worth that mammon offers us, that temptation that we are offered, we often find those signs in the places we live, in the food we eat, and in the clothes that we wear. You see, Jesus knows that we are easily attracted to this idol, and that money and success and stuff can become our God at his expense. He is simply, honestly telling us that we cannot have it both ways. We can't worship two gods at once. Now, we think we can. We're super creative. (laughs) We think we'll figure out a way. But he's telling us it's, it's impossible. That's just not how it works. We can worship the God who made us in his image, or we can worship the gods that we make in ours. We can either look up or we can look down, but we can't look up and down at the same time. That's what he is saying to us. But again, let's look at what he's not saying. He is not criticizing our human ambition and our passion and our desire to succeed at something. That's wired in us. He's not criticizing it. Instead, he's redirecting our ambition and our passion and our desire to succeed toward his kingdom, encouraging us to strive to be a success in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of men and women, encouraging us to strive to impress God, to accumulate the rewards and the treasures of his attention, of his praise, rather than these worldly treasures that we can't take with us, the attention, Excuse me, the attention and the praise of men and women. You see, if we put Jesus at the center of our lives, then we will use the blessings and the abundance of this life not to make more of ourselves, but to make more of Jesus in his kingdom. He wants us to strive for success, but not for mansions that we build in this kingdom. He wants us to strive for a mansion in his. There's a sweet member of our church. I almost called her an old lady, which she is, but she's going to hear this, and that wouldn't be nice. So, I'll just call her a sweet member of our church. <laughs> and she was telling me the other day on a Zoom call. She said, "Chad, at my funeral, it's always great when they start that way, right? I mean, they do that all the time." Chad, at my funeral, you had better read John fourteen two. And when you read John 14.2, and y'all, I mean, she was pointing like she is so serious, she said, when you read John 14.2, I know you don't like it, but you better read it from the King James. Okay, now the NIV says, John 14.2, My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? But the King James says, In my father's house are many mansions. And she said to me, There's a mansion waiting for me, not a room. I love that. She also told me that she would haunt me if I read the NIV, so uh, we're uh, we're gonna talk about that theology a little later. Um, You see, it's not about learning to despise mansions. It's simply about striving for a mansion in the right neighborhood. Okay, and you do know I I don't mean like Kings Point or Green Tree or River Oaks, right? (laughs) I want to make sure that analogy landed. (laughs) It's not wrong to own the stuff of this world. It's not necessarily a sin to have a big house and eat nice food and have nice clothes. But it is wrong when we are owned by that stuff. When we are owned by the house and the food and the clothes. That's how we know that our perspective, that our focus, our attention are all pointed in the wrong direction. You see, because worshiping mammon, that's what Jesus calls that. He calls it worshiping mammon. And that is what causes us the kind of worry that Jesus is challenging us to overcome. If my goal is to impress people, right, worshiping mammon, if that's my goal, The reality is, that's the best that I will ever accomplish. It's just impressing some people. And the truth is, it'll never be enough. And that will lead to a worry that can never be satisfied or relieved. If my goal is to accumulate stuff, that's the best that I can ever hope for, is a bunch of stuff. And I think most of us know this, no matter how much it is, it will never be enough. And that'll lead me to worry about things in a way that will never be satisfied or relieved. But when we're worshiping the one true God who's revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, then our ambition and our desire and our hope for success, they are owned by the values of his kingdom. When our greatest asset is his righteousness in us, not the clothes that hang on us, then we realize that his kingdom will always be enough. Our worry will then be transformed into a righteous concern because we'll be concerned about his glory. And in turn, we will then begin to seek out the best for others. Our concern will not be about what we eat, but whether others have food. Not about the clothes that we're wearing, whether they're in style, but whether our friends around the world are living in tatters. We will begin to be concerned about those who have no relationship and who are living alone. Those are ambitions and desires that we can accomplish. Those are things that can be achieved. And that's the kind of stuff that will set us apart and make us a part of redeeming this broken world. So Jesus is not saying, don't worry. What he's saying to every one of us is just look at me. Jesus, not me, but Jesus is saying, just look at me. Focus on me and the kingdom that I'm bringing with me. Keep your eyes on me, and I promise you are going to be okay. Because even when this world does the worst it can do to you, when it takes your very life, I've already dealt with that too. All right, so what? How do, we, how do we do this now? We can't answer that all tonight, but, but there are two things that I can offer you tonight. Uh, these are two things that we started doing back in the spring that I think will help us as we continue into the uncertainty of this coming fall and even into the new year. Two things you can do that will let Jesus redirect your worry and fear is pray and read scripture. And you can start that right now. Sabrina started filming uh, these videos last spring. She's been leading us in these spiritual practices that have been used by Christians for centuries to help turn our attention toward God and toward his kingdom, to turn our attention away from ourselves. So she's gonna continue doing that this fall. Uh, She's gonna offer a monthly video practice. And then she's gonna start writing a weekly blog that's gonna go into the hows and whys of spiritual formation and these ancient practices. And then she's also gonna host a small group over Zoom that'll actually help work through some of these practices with some of you. At least you are now, because I just said it and it's on camera, so here, that's, that's the plan. <laughs> she, she did tell me that, so we're good. Prayer and spiritual formation practices, that's one way that we are trying to help equip you to turn your eyes toward Jesus this fall. Reading scripture is another. This week, a pretty large group of us Over 50% of the people that signed up finished reading the entire Bible, cover to cover, in 100 days. So I shared with them from the beginning that the goal of that was not to understand the depth and nuance of every Bible story. It was simply to build the daily habit of turning a significant amount of our time towards Scripture and having that conversation with God. So this fall, I'm going to host another 100 days. Uh, But this time we're going to read a little less. We're going to go a little slower and a little deeper into the stories. Uh, We're going to do a bunch of the New Testament this fall in 100 days. And then we're going to, I'm sorry, did I say New World? Old Old Testament this fall. And then in the spring and winter, we're going to do all of the entire New Testament in 100 days. So in about a week or so, we're going to share with you all the opportunities that you're going to have this fall to connect with each other, uh, to receive content. And the goal of that content is to help each of us turn our eyes away from ourselves and toward Jesus. And I really do believe that'll help redirect our worry about about this broken world. And it'll help turn that worry into wonder and excitement about Jesus and his coming kingdom. I've seen that happen in that 100 days group. We had a guy, when he started reading the 100 days, he had just come down with shingles a week before. And he was in crazy pain. And he has testified to that group and he said it again yesterday when he told me that he finally finished the last day. That it was literally the daily practice of reading scripture that took his mind off his pain. And just weeks into it, he was still getting treatment but he wasn't concerned about it anymore. It matters. If we're gonna redirect our attention away from ourselves and toward Jesus, it takes time. So we're trying to give you the practices to help you do that. So I really hope I hope that you hear in tonight, in Jesus' words and in my proclamation of Jesus' words, I hope you hear an invitation. I hope you hear both comfort and challenge, not condemnation. But most importantly, I, I hope you hear hope. Because there is another way to be human. We don't have to settle for that tired old model that this world is trying to sell us every day. Jesus has come to save us from everything and anything that would distract us from his love and his mercy. He's encouraging us to let him transform our worry into a kingdom curiosity. Let him help us turn away from the worries of this world by seeking the things of his kingdom and the righteousness that comes with it. He's inviting us to turn away from ourselves, to depend on him, to turn outward to others, to those that are in need, and trust that in the end, at the end of the day, he will provide everything we need to live and serve him as his image bearers. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I'm grateful for a good word. Um, I told you when we first started Teaching and preaching and preparing to go through the Sermon on the Mount, I was worried. (laughs) I was worried. I was afraid um, because of what it would reveal in me. But Jesus, I'm grateful for it. Um, I'm grateful for the weakness and worry that it's revealed in me over the past couple weeks. I'm grateful to be able to share that with my friends, with this church that I love. I pray that you would comfort and guide each of them in the same way you have me over the past couple weeks that you would hold them tightly as you reveal the things that they need to let go, that you would give them signs and evidence that you are trustworthy. That if you don't, that they will remember to turn back to the cross because that's truly all the proof they need. So God, we are grateful for the ways that you provide. We know that even in our suffering, you're using it for our good. You're using it for the purposes of your kingdom, so help us to remember that every time. Help us to chase and follow you. Not the nonsense that this world would have us desire and want and feel like we need. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.